0: Well, good morning. Again, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to finish out chapter 10, Lord willing, this morning, page 812 in the church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. Okay. While you're turning there, again, welcome. If we haven't met and you would like to, it would be my privilege to do that, so keep that in mind. And also, if you have a question about what we have said, sung, or read, or especially about Jesus Christ this morning, then when we're through, please uh, find me, and um, I always stay up here for a little bit, so you can do that, and I'll be happy to try to answer those questions for you. I'm going to read God's Word, and and then we're going to pray, just so you'll know. For some of you, the reason why we're here this morning is because we've been working verse by verse through 1 Corinthians um, since September, October of last year. took a few breaks here and there, but um, this is where we're at this morning. All right, let's hear the word of the Lord, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. And then verse one, chapter 11, follow my example Is I follow the, as I follow the example of the most freest man who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow together, please. Jesus, thank you that you open up access to our Father in heaven by the shedding of your blood for our sins. So in moments like this, we never need wonder if the Father is listening or caring or ready to give an answer. Jesus, you did that. So glory and honor and praise to you alone. Father, we would ask this morning that you would send down your mighty power to both the one who's speaking and those who are listening. Awaken us so that we might speak, listen, understand, believe, and obey. And we would ask you, God, that a, a spirit of deep concern for others in and outside of Christ be given to us. Remove apathy and stubbornness. Kill the Pharisee that might be in us And we would ask that we would be given fresh understanding of what it really, truly, honestly means. That whatever we do, we do it for your glory. That we do not cause offense. That we demote our own good and promote the good of the many so that they might be saved. Finally, God, while all this is happening, may we know and may we feel your love for us this morning. We are so prone to wander from the truth, Father. We often think that our way is far better. Please, if we need it this morning, draw us back to you and do that even now. For Jesus' sake, amen. Those of you who were with us last Sunday, you will recall we began with two questions. The first, would you like to live in a world where everything is permissible? The second question was, would you like to live in a world where everything you decide to do is permissible so that you're never wrong, you're never to be questioned, you're never to be corrected or told no. We ask those questions because some in the church in Corinth had a slogan, and they would carry that slogan with them in the ebb and flow of their lives. If your Bible's open, you'll see it there in quotes in verse 23, everything is permissible to me, essentially. In other words, because of grace and because of the Spirit, I can do everything I like. I always get it right. I am totally free. Our conclusions with the questions were pretty straightforward. The former, a world where everything is permissible, would give us a world of chaos and wickedness. The latter, everything I decide to do is permissible, and our context would create a world of a childish, selfish, and irresponsible Christian. The lesson Paul was teaching them, them excuse me, was giving understanding to the question, just how free are we as Christians? In other words, as people who are united to Christ and therefore united to each other, for real, you know, not pretend, not just on Sundays, not because we think alike on everything, but because our union in Christ is real Therefore, since my life affects your life and your life affects my life and our lives affect each other, just how free are we as Christians? And we took note, albeit briefly, we'll expand on this in a bit, but we took note that the right use of our Christian freedom is always tied to the gospel. That's what's so great about chapters 9 and 10. It covers almost everything that could happen in gospel conversations. Verse 31, okay, whatever you do, right? Do it so that people will see God. Do it so that people will be drawn to God, that God is glorified, that people will want to know Christ because of our decisions in life. That's verse 31. And then verse 33, Paul says, I'm doing everything I can, not with me first in line in my mind. No, others first so that they may be saved. So right away, right? If you don't get this, you're going to be At a disadvantage. Right away, we learn that our Christian freedom, which is very real, is directly tied to gospel expansion, which is required. I'm going to say that again. Our Christian freedom, which is real, is directly tied to gospel expansion, which is required. So your freedom is not... So you can go, yay! Your freedom is to bring glory to God and to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. A good scripture reference would be the one my wife sent me early Tuesday morning via text. She sent me 1 Peter 2.16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So again, the proper use of our Christian freedom is always tied to the gospel. It's always evangelistic, always for the good of others, always with the self, ourselves, rightly set aside. Now, the Corinthian context in these verses was secondary matters, uh, debatable matters, things the Bible does not expressly forbid or command. And their big issue, as we read, was meat sacrificed to idols. Okay, so the meat's now on a plate. plate. You're at your friend's house. They invited you over to eat the meal. You went over. There's the meat. Should you eat the meat or not? Okay, so this is not a main and plain thing. However, there's an answer needed. So we said, clearly for the Christian, there are things which are main and plain in the Bible which are expressly forbidden. And clearly for the Christian, there are things which are main and plain in the Bible which are expressly commanded. In other words, yes, there are thou shalt nots, as in, as in lie and covet, and there are thou shalls, as in you should obey your mom and dad, and you should keep the Sabbath holy, and so on. And we discover both only in the pages of God's Word. But here, Paul is dealing in the realm of things the Bible doesn't speak directly to, things you can't find an exact scripture for, for an exact path to follow, for an exact decision to make. Therefore, here in 1 Corinthians 10, this is the realm of secondary issues, issues that are not primary. Let me give you one example. I'm at a wedding. My fellow Christian who's had a drinking problem for 25 years is at the wedding too. I have a liberty to take a drink. I actually enjoy it. The host is about ready to toast. Should I exercise my liberty? Is it real? Or should I not use the liberty for the sake of my brother because I know that will hurt him? Uh, Verse 32, do you see it there? Cause him to stumble or might confuse him. Same meaning in that word. So how will I decide how to decide what to do? Incidentally, and in passing, if you're a person with a large personality and a strong conscience, a person who likes to speak your mind and you're used to being the lead dog in the group, surely you can see how that can actually be a disadvantage to you in these things because your prowess could allow you to hurt others and cause you to sin against them and 1 Corinthians 8.12, sin against Jesus Christ himself. And some of us are like that. And in my experience, you see this often in families where the parents, one or both, do everyone's thinking for them and there's no age-appropriate liberty. I also wonder, when we decide on these secondary matters, if we decide only on the basis of our personal peace in mind, so is that our mantra, is that our slogan, I have peace about this so it must be okay to do, is that all it takes? Really? And we warned each other, did we not, of the dangers of legalism and license in this. Legalism, I have my own list of things that keep me right. If you don't keep my list, then you're not on my team. Or you are displeasing to me because you don't follow my list. I think I told you of a church in Tennessee that was just kind of right down the street from our house when we lived there. It had a sign on the outside, uh, KJV only, King James Version only, hymns only. Pre-millennial, premillennial only, right? Have a nice day. Come in at your own risk. Maybe, maybe is that what they should have said. In license, the opposite, there's no rules. Just do what you think is right. No one is thinking about others. Everyone thinks with themselves or their families first, and not the gospel. because after all, if you're free and you're being led to do that freedom, who can question you? You're being led. And so what Paul begins to do is he lays down God-given principles which we have to apply if we're going to use our freedom properly and probably more importantly, if we have any hope of advancing the gospel in our lives as we are told to, commanded to do. So what we learned was the proper question we should ask ourselves in debatable matters, things not expressly forbidden in the scriptures, is not, am I allowed to do this? That's not the right question. But rather, since I am allowed to do this, should I do this? That's the question. And so that was principle number one. Remember verse 23, we ask ourselves, will my decision edify? Will my decision that I'm going to make on the secondary matter, does it bring glory to God? Does it build up, benefit my brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, right? And will it advance the gospel to the watching world? Second principle, verse 24, the highest good in my decision is not my personal good, but the good of others. You see it there. Nobody should seek his own good. That's the mind of a two-year-old. Nobody should seek his own good, but we should seek the good of others. Now, loved ones, that is a biggie, is it not? Because our old nature is so prone to approach God like a divine slot machine, right? I'm putting my coins in, and I've got my good deeds, God, now come on God let me win. Give me the good life. No suffering, no pain, no gospel advancement. I will enjoy the benefits of the gospel. Bring them on. But I will not advance the gospel. Especially if it costs me. And if you think about it, verse 24, if you're a Christian, should make us shout hallelujah because so often we get this wrong. And so we thank God that justification is real. We thank God that grace is real, knowing how often, at least I can speak for myself, how often I fail in this verse 24 instruction. Okay, that was last time. Now, principle number three, beginning around verse 25. Use theology to guide you in your liberty. Verse 25, you see it there? Eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience. Four, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So verse 26 is a theological statement. Everything here belongs to God. Everything? Yes, everything. Now, if you think about that, that is absolutely wonderful. We, we own nothing. We're stewards of everything. It was Calvin or Luther. I can't remember which one. There's not one part of this planet where our Father in heaven cannot say, this is mine because it's all his. So everything on it, in it, comes from it, all that we have right now belongs to God, which is why we'll give an account to God with what we did, with what he gave. Therefore, no matter how this meat got to the market, this is what Paul is saying, no matter how it got there, it's still God's meat. Now, eat that meat in a pagan temple. Remember verses 20 and 21 of chapter 10? You eat that meat in a pagan temple, you're in big trouble. Don't do that but this is not that. This meat is out of the market. It's cheap. It's good. Buy it, eat it, and zip it on the questions. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't ask so many questions. You have your theology. Let it rest. Don't be so extreme. Don't have so many scruples. Don't ask so many questions and get yourself all tied up in knots. There's a guy named Martin Short. He's an actor. He has a character named Mr. Grimley. Those of you who are free enough to know who he is, You know what I'm talking about? If not, later on, you can Google the guy. So he has this character, and the thing about him is he asks himself a thousand questions before he ever decides to do what he does, and he ends up not deciding, right? So he would go to the meat market and go, I wonder what God the meat was sacrificed to. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they forgot to sacrifice it. Maybe this is good meat. Did they forget? No, they couldn't forget. Oh, what am I going to do? Paul just says, just buy the meat and eat it. It belongs to God. 1 Timothy 4.4 4, Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. 1 Corinthians 8.8 8, Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. There's no God diets. Right? So our freedom is a real freedom. Don't be so easy to lose it because the only reason why we would forfeit our Christian freedom and we're going to get to this in a moment, is if we would offend another person. Again, to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Be careful that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So listen very carefully. Don't be one of those kinds of Christians that every time the wind blows and whatever is the latest and greatest in thing that we you know, hear on Christian radio or we read on the web, that is a neutral thing, It's neutral, but the person says, if you do this or if you don't do this, then oh boy, you're one of those serious Christians. You're part of the elite group, uh, the special forces for God. You're gonna really stand out because you are way past all those other average Christians who are not doing this new thing, right? So you buy the t-shirt, you buy the book, you get the calendar and you go to the conference and, and you're like, yes, elite Christian. Yes, I am. Listen carefully. We should not reframe from participating in neutral things just because someone has created an external list of their own choosing. I want you to hear that. We should not refrain from participating in neutral things just because what we're about to do or going to enjoy doing happens to be on someone else's top 10 list of things that we shouldn't do and we shouldn't enjoy if we are a, quote, real serious Christian. Because that list cannot be authenticated from the true list which God gave us, namely the Ten Commandments or any of the teachings of Jesus which are right in line with the commandments. So Paul says, do not get caught up in that stuff because legalism, which is what is happening here, does not produce holy living. Legalism produces bondage. You make your own list and you try to keep that list bondage. And if you don't believe me, I want you to listen to the Bible, Colossians 2.20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, in other words, since you're a Christian, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. List. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, right? They look right. I mean, look at them. They're using the list. It seems like it's going to work with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now listen to J.B. Phillips' translation of those last few lines. I know that these regulations look wise with their self-inspired efforts at worship, their policy of self-humbling and their studied neglect of the body. But in actual practice, listen carefully, they do honor not to God, but to man's own pride. Now, did you hear that? They do honor not to God, but to man's own pride. I'm only eating oats. I only wear dresses. I never wear stretchy pants. I only buy three gifts, each for the kids at Christmas, because that's all that Jesus got. I only buy used cars. I do not have cable, email, or Netflix. And bless God, I only read Christian material. Would you just look at me? And don't you want to do that too? Well, you're not doing that, are you? Well, give yourself some time and and you'll catch up to me. Now, Now, let me ask you a question. Who is the hero in that equation? Is it Jesus Christ? Is the outsider going to ask you questions about your list? Or is he going to ask you questions about Christ? You see, self-justification is the default of our old nature. It doesn't work. It's dead. It is a lie. And the devil loves it. He loves it. Why? Because it does not exalt the cross. It does not exalt Christ. It just exalts some stupid list that some made. I was going to say stupid, but I shouldn't say that. Somebody made. (laughs) Dressed in his righteousness alone. Right? That's thrilling. Dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne. Why? Why is that so? There's only one reason. It's because Jesus went to the cross and died and Bear the whole wrath of God for my sin. Now, I want, I want you to listen to me, please. In light of all this stuff, if we live a life, or let's say we train our teens simply with external rules, with an external way of life, never taught them of the love and power and conviction of Jesus Christ, if you've never led uh, your home with the gospel, then chances are, chances are they'll grow up and either be the worst of all Pharisees who understand the Christian life like a circus animal, so if they do X, and only if they do X, whether they mean it or not, then they know that they'll get their little treat. They know that you'll get, they'll get your approval. They'll finally feel your love. Do you want that? Or, if they don't turn into a Pharisee, then, then they may hide in their rooms depressed because they can't keep that external list And then they go in their rooms and do all the things they can't do publicly, secretly, in their minds. You see, that's why when you read the Bible and you study the Pharisees, because this is what the Pharisees do, all external, no internal. You study them, they were moral but grumpy. They were always pointing out the sins of others. They were a very frustrated group. They loved their money and they were absolutely horrible. Horrible to sinners. So there is all the difference in the world between an external constraint to please others or to puff us up rather than a genuine internal liberating conviction. And loved ones, the one who matters most knows. He knows. He knows that there's no power in externals. That is either pride if you perform or depression if you do not. So Paul says, verse 24, here's some theology. The earth and everything in it belongs to God. So eat the meat sold in the market. Don't be illegalistic. Don't ask so many fussy questions. Don't be difficult. Don't be wooden. Don't overthink it. Just relax. Relax. The debatable things are debatable. Therefore, we apply principle. Therefore, we will not ask, principle number one, am I allowed? Rather, we will say, is this constructive? Does this build up? Does this edify? Is this the highest good? We will, principle number two, put the concerns of others before ourselves. And principle number three, we will not be tied up in knots. Theology will help us understand our liberty. Okay, onward to principle number four, which actually balances out principle number three. Principle number four says this, we are to adjust our actions for the sake of the weaker brother or sister, but we are not to adjust our conscience. And this is actually verses 27 to 30. So I hope your Bible's open because we're going to be tracking through this. Now, this can be confusing. It was was a little hard for me to work through. I think I have a grip on it and I'm going to pass it along to you as clearly as I can. Here we go. A non-believer invites you over for a meal. That's verse 27. Paul says, go over and eat it. Don't worry internally about where it came from. Don't raise questions of conscience. We say, yes, of course, Paul. That's what you said in verses 25 and 26. Okay, we're good with that. Now we're cooking. But Paul also says, if someone at the dinner table, Christian or not, that's why he says anyone. If anyone says to you, verse 28, this is idle meat, then he says, don't eat it. So you're thinking, you say, wait a minute, Paul, I thought you gave us a rule. Verse 25, eat the stuff. Now you're telling me don't eat the stuff? Paul says, yes, in that particular situation, I'm telling you this. Which is why principle is the word choice and not rule. Principles are flexible to circumstances. Rules are not. Now, experience tells me Offense usually arises in relationships or in the church when neutral things are mishandled. So it goes like this. A large personality with a strong conscience but misinformed conscience says, I don't care about all this stuff. They slept through the sermon and they say, you know what, I can do anything I want because everything is permissible. So I don't care who you are or what you are. I don't care what you think. It is my life, your kids, your parents, my elders, yourselves." You're all secondary to me. I am free. I am free. I am free. I can do anything I want anytime. I can say yes anytime. I can say no anytime. That's all there is to it. After all, this is America. Paul says, no, that is not all there is to it. I mean, if you're playing pretend church, sure. If you're trying to impress certain people, sure. We understand that. Paul says, that is not all there is to it. The principle was, Paul said, we can't eat the meat, okay. But he also said, if someone points out there's a problem to them, then you, Christian, restrict your freedom. You don't eat the meat. And here's why. The greatest Christian freedom is not doing whatever we want. The greatest Christian freedom is to restrict our freedom for the good of another. That is the ultimate expression of our freedom. And I'm going to say it again because I think we need to understand this. The greatest Christian expression of our Christian freedom is not doing whatever we want. The greatest Christian freedom is to restrict our freedom for the good of another. That is the ultimate expression of our freedom. The secular person does not have that kind of freedom. They could never restrict their freedom for the good of another. Why not? Because they're in bondage to their freedom. You understand that? They are in bondage to their freedom. You remember Paul's example in chapter 9? He limits his freedom to the church finances. He limits his freedom in order that he has to be all things to all people. He limits his freedom to his freedoms so that he might win some. See, that's why he has his freedom, to win others. So he has a real freedom, but he doesn't need to use it to enjoy it. Okay? He has a real freedom, but he doesn't need to use it to enjoy it. And so it's the work of God the Spirit in our lives which enables us to take a real justifiable freedom and hold back our freedom in such a way that we will not hurt or hinder the weaker Christian around the table. Okay, so if you're tracking with me, you could say, well, this might seem like you're yielding to another man's conscience, which sounds like bondage to another man's scruples. It might seem like that. It might even feel like that. But God knows the motives of our heart. He knows whether we are restraining from something because we are afraid of the public perception or afraid of a person or we are restraining from something because we do not want to wound their weak conscience. Allah, verse 32, cause them to stumble and then chapter 8, verse 12, sin against Jesus Christ himself. You know, when I was reading that, I just thought of a a thing in Tennessee where a a really nice old man bought a really nice new truck, but he never brought it to church. (laughs) He never drove the nice truck to church on Sunday. And I was like, why don't you ever do that? Well, I don't know people say things about my nice new truck and how I'm spending my money. So we had a nice little talk about that. Let me give you another example. You go to a party. Dancing is allowed. You're a very good dancer. At least that's what your wife says. You have tremendous moves, okay? However, two tables over is a fellow Christian family. And you know, they wrestle with this whole dancing thing. And right now, it is a major problem for them. So you're in a pickle. It is a dance party. You're okay with dancing. Your conscience is free. You don't want to offend the host. But you know it will offend the conscience of the you-don't-dance family if you grab your wife and boogie. Now, what do you do? Because it is boogie night. Right? It is boogie nice. So Paul says, pretty simply, don't offend the We Don't Dance family. Here's why. Because you are harming them in that present situation. Okay? That's why it's principle. You're harming them in that present situation. This is an offense. So you do not insist on your liberty if you know it will hurt or confuse them. Well, then you're going to have to really know people. Ah, yeah, that's why we're a body. Right? That's why we're a body. Chapter 8, verse 9, be careful that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 28, if anyone says to you, this has been offered to in sacrifice, then do not eat it, right? No dancing at that particular party, but for the sake of the man, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. So you say, who's conscience? Because the guy who's about ready to eat or get on the dance floor, he's free, he's fine. Paul says, the other man's conscience, not yours. That's verse 29. So Paul says, don't insist upon your freedom. Don't argue about it. Don't be contentious. Don't say, you know, let them deal with it. I know my liberties. No, we modify our actions for the sake of the weaker conscience. Now listen carefully. When we consider the needs of others, even in their weakness, we reach out to them in a self renouncing love. Verse 24 and 33, right? Self-renouncing love. This is agape love. This is Christ's love. And how can that be bad? How can that be harmful for anyone? Anyone? In fact, if you think about this, it might earn you the ear later on with the We Don't Dance family and you explain to them why you dance and they might say, okay, you know what? I get it. I get it. So let's boogie. But again, here we are again. Someone say, isn't that placing yourself in bondage to another man's conscience? No, it is not. Because we we are modifying our freedom, but we are not modifying our conscience. This is a restriction of liberty, of activity, not of conscience, which is verse 29b. Do you see it there? Why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? It can't be. It must never be. So our conscience is free. It's not under the person's control, but our actions, however, are consciously being restricted for the good of another. In other words, again, I don't have to use my liberty to enjoy my liberty. I can go home and I can have a super cool dance party with my wife for real, or I can do it in my mind for real. I'm fine with that. My conscience is fine with that. I might go to another party and that couple's not there. Fine, it's boogie night again. But I just helped my brother and sister tonight And that's cool. And that's Christian. So Paul is imposing nothing on the Christian behavior. But he says, do not let your conscience be restricted by someone else. Just let your actions be restricted. Don't let your conscience be restricted by someone else. That is bondage. Right? When an external list of another, which is more than the Bible, binds our conscience That is bondage. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I think some Christians may raise their kids based on someone else's convictions. I think some Christians may deal with their finances based on someone else's convictions. I think sometimes friendships are not real friendships because one person dominates that friendship and there is no liberty in it. And when we are tied and bound to another person's convictions. How can we, verse 31, do you see it there? How can we honestly eat and drink or whatever we do to the glory of God? You can't do it because you're in bondage. Now think with me because this is the payoff. The licensed persons will take a look at verse 31 and say, you know what, I can do whatever I want to do because whatever I want to do brings glory to God. So I'm free to do whatever I want to do and that is the thought of a feeble mind. That's foolishness. But, and probably more appropriate here, the legalist will take verse 31 and say, See, see, how can you glorify God by watching any kind of movie, but only a Christian movie? By listening to any kind of music, but only Christian music? How can you glorify God by only buying any other product, but Christian products? And only reading Christian books. And only going to Christian schools. And on and on and on. Thereby dogmatically placing their own conviction on others. And that is bondage. That is bondage and we run from that. We oppose that. Final principle. Number five. It's a positive one. Thank God, right? God's glory and humanity's good. There you go. Do all to the glory of God. Verse 31. You don't do all to the glory of God to be more Christian or even to establish your freedom. You do all for the glory of God because you love the God who saved you. You love the God who saved you. It's in here. It's not all this stuff. It's in here. I want to advance the honor of the name of the one who saved me by his death on the cross. Verse 32. Don't offend others, especially your church family, in the improper use of your freedom. You better think this through is what Paul is saying. Verse 33a. Try to please all people in everything. Don't claim your rights all the time. Holy cow. You can't function that way. Verse 33b, seek the good, seek the advantage of many. Not for your own benefit and not even for your uh, fulfillment. Is that Jesus? Is that Philippians 2? Seek this way of life, verse 33c, so that many might be saved. In other words, don't be so preoccupied with your own salvation. Right? Remember the Christian basics, justification, sanctification, redemption, substitution. Don't be so preoccupied with your own salvation. Think of others. Think of others. Finally, be imitators of Jesus Christ. Isn't that chapter 11, verse 1? Isn't imitating Jesus Christ true Christian freedom? Being so free from ourselves, but to glorify God by being like our Lord Jesus Christ, advancing his name in all the places where he, he put you. So you're a mom at home do it for the glory of God. You're a mom at work, do it for the glory of God. You do both, do it for the glory of God. Your dad, home, work, do it for the glory of God. You're washing windows, which I can't stand to do. I hate it. Do it for the glory of God. I've got to go home and empty the dishwasher today when I get home. As soon as I get home, I hate doing that, but I'm going to do it for the glory of God. And so I won't get in trouble when I get home too, but that's another story. We are connecting people to Christ when we connect him to the church, Christ was the freest man subject to none, and Jesus Christ was the greatest servant subject to all. See? That's Christian freedom. So so if all our friends are just like you, is that a good thing? If you won't reach out to others unless they are just like you, is that Christ's way? If someone doesn't think just like you on neutral matters, are they off our guest list? If someone doesn't think just like you on neutral matters, are you going to let them have it? And in the day-to-day world, if God isn't being glorified, if people aren't considering God and his gospel because of our behavior, because of our decisions, then clearly, clearly we have our orders. We have our principles, we have our privileges, and we have our duty. We have our duty. Jesus said this over and over and over again in the Gospels. If you try to live a life and save your life, what happens? You know, I don't even have to say it. But if you lose your life, lose some of those freedoms appropriately, if you lay it on the line day by day, Then life, life, eternal life. I'm sure there's some frustrated people in here with life in general. Jesus has some great things to say about that. We just talked about a whole lot of them. Don't be in bondage to the self. Don't be in bondage to others. Just be in bondage to Jesus Christ and serve the world as best you can Exactly as he did. Advancing the cause. Advancing his name. Not your little list. Which is going to be gone when you die. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. We, we have to get this right as a congregation. And there's no way we're going to get it right unless you move by your spirit. And do that great work in us, God. Some water, some plant. Water or nothing, plant or nothing. Only you, God, who makes things grow. Please make this grow in our lives. Start with me. Now, may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be ours both this morning and every day until Jesus calls us home or Jesus returns. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.